Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. Today, we're welcoming Megan Hatcher to the show. Megan currently serves as the director of the Innovation Laboratory, an initiative of the Center for Youth Ministry Training. She holds a Bachelor of Journalism and a Master of Science in Sustainable Development and Applied Sociology from the University of Missouri, and a Master of Divinity with Specialization in Community Engagement from Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. The thread that runs throughout Megan's academic and professional experiences is the power of story to knit communities together around a collective vision. She is a graduate of the Life Stories Institute in Washington, D.C., and has a tremendous passion for guiding individuals to reflect on their personal stories and the timeless stories of faith. Megan has served rural, urban, and suburban congregational settings in the areas of pastoral leadership, innovative ministry development, youth ministry, new church development, and community engagement. Megan makes her home in Austin with her spouse, Corey. All right, welcome to the show, Megan Hatcher. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Well, thanks, Lauren, for the invitation to be here. I'm really excited to be part of this conversation. Um, you know, something I think that is just great to say at the outset of starting to talk about innovation um, is that me, um, as an individual, I resonate with what has happened in the church and this, you know, the narrative of church decline. I, uh, in my own story, have left the church for a time and always have found my way back. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think it's, I think that's something that's important to say is that what I bring to this work um, is my own personal experience of really just continuing to return to the church and the idea that as the body of Christ, we continue even in 2023 to have something really compelling to offer uh, to communities and to the world. So uh, I love the church, um, even even with all of the complexities. Well, you're in the right place. Uh, I'm the same way. And I think it's, it is kind of a, it's kind of a, it, one of those choices I think you kind of make um, to try to, to live with a, to live and work for the better despite the challenges. Um, share if you would kind of your journey of faith, kind of what that looked like early on, what that looks like for you today. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I was raised in a two-parent household with um, a you know a strong faith background. Uh, my parents are Presbyterian and Baptist, and so they decided to raise my sister and I United Methodist uh, to try to meet in the middle there theologically a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Truth be told, me came to that church because of the preschool. They had a really robust children's program. Um, so yeah. I, Started all the way in preschool and graduated from uh, United Methodist Youth Group. Um, so was United Methodist and then went off to college and got involved with a campus ministry that had roots in an evangelical Presbyterian church um, and was there for a time, met some wonderful friends, actually met the person who became my husband, um, got involved and was serving in youth ministry for a number of years in that setting. Uh, and then really started to discern a call to pastoral ministry. Um, mm-hmm. That sent me to seminary, um, and I returned to my Methodist roots and went to Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Um, had an utterly transformative journey there. Um, the city is so vibrant and so diverse, um, and the seminary was as well. 
and just had this beautiful confluence of diversity of opinions and thoughts and ways of conceptualizing God and um, theological doctrine and just had a really rich experience. Um, that led me to help to start a church, United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia, which is you know, okay. just across the border in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that eventually ended up, we moved back to Austin, Texas, which is where I'm from. Um, and I served as a pastor of community engagement at a United Methodist Church here in Austin. Uh, then about three or so months into the pandemic in 2020, was actually recruited into my current position as the director of the Innovation Lab at the Center for Youth Ministry Training. Um, during the pandemic, I think like a lot of people took a little bit of time away from church. Um, that was yeah. helpful and healthy for me. Um, mm-hmm. So it took some time. And now we are members of a Disciples of Christ um, and United Church of Christ uh, merged congregation in Austin. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, shout out to my home team, I guess, the uh, Christian <laughs> Church Disciples of Christ. Um, what are some, what is a, a spiritual practice that's been meaningful you for you or has sustained you during the last few years? Yeah, gosh. So when I made the transition from pastoral ministry to what I do now, I now work remotely, which means that Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time in my house. Um, And the pandemic, of course, just layered on to that. And so something that became really nourishing to me spiritually um, and mentally and emotionally during the pandemic uh, that I've carried over is this idea of trying to create a discipline of celebration. Hmm. So celebration is a spiritual discipline in the sense that, you know, during the pandemic, we were forced into this monotony of our rhythms where we were doing the same thing in many cases over and over, never leaving our houses, um, not being able to see friends and community in the same ways. And so I started Mm -hmm. to think, how can I every day create a moment that is completely distinct from and other than what I've just been doing for the entire workday, right? So how can I create a a time in my day that is distinct from being at my desk for the last eight hours? Um, And then also, how can we continue to celebrate, you know, great things that are happening in our jobs or great things that are happening for our friends in the community? And um, so celebration as more than just something to kind of break up monotony, but actually to to really have a moment of connection and presence with the Holy Spirit um, has been really important. So I've tried to carry that over uh, in the last mm-hmm. few years and continue to cultivate that um, in my home and and in my in my being um, as I move forward. Yeah, I, I can imagine that that has elements of mindfulness, gratefulness, um, kind of presence. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's a way of being able to say like you know. What just happened at work for my husband, you know, was a great thing and we want to celebrate it. We don't just want to gloss over it when we're having dinner at the Mm -hmm. table or, you know, dinner at the table and conversation about how was your day. But let's actually stop and interrupt that and say, how can we ground ourselves in gratitude and actually make that a moment of celebration uh, instead of just something that we kind of gloss over? Yeah. Well, great. Um, It's important to keep those, important to keep those things going, Um, you know. Societally, we might say, right, culturally, we're kind of quote unquote past COVID, even though obviously, as we're recording this, seems like COVID's making another run. But Mm. um, those are some, you know, there's some, I think broadly speaking, we could all say like, there are some things we learned from COVID that can be helpful. And hopefully we can remember and kind of sustain these things. Yeah. Especially I think about the, the ways that people's patterns and 
our relationship to time and the passing mm-hmm. of time and our rhythms. I think that that's something that has really shifted yeah. um, in, per- in people's personal lives and then obviously in the way that we be in our community life together. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I actually invited Megan on the show. I'm not sure really how I, I think I came across the Innovation Lab on Instagram or something. Sometimes I just like find things that look interesting on social media and think, oh, it looks like a great conversation. Um, so I'm kind of entering this conversation much like our listeners, not knowing a lot about the Innovation Lab. So I'm hoping this is ed- educational for both myself and for our listeners here uh, and informative, but talk kind of about the work of the Center for Youth Ministry and the Innovation Lab just to kick us off. Yeah. So the Center for Youth Ministry Training is the parent nonprofit that the Innovation Lab is an initiative of. Um, So just a little background about Center for Youth Ministry Training. So CYMT started in 2006 um, out of this recognition that around 83% of folks who are called into youth ministry and who are serving actively in youth ministry or children's ministry um, don't actually have any theological training. And they don't have the resources and the support around them that will lead them to be as effective in ministry as they could be. And then also to be able to sustain their ministry. So the burnout rate, um, as I'm sure a lot of listeners are aware of around children's and youth ministry uh, leaders is really stark. Um, So the Center for Youth Ministry Training exists to equip folks who are called into youth ministry, children's ministry, campus ministry. Um, And we do that through offering a graduate residency in youth ministry, which is a program we have um, in partnership with Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary here in Texas. Um, We do that through creative resources that we have launched and that we come alongside folks who are in that space of discerning call um, and trying to do youth ministry in new ways. And then we have a couple of initiatives that work in the youth ministry space and then beyond that. So the Innovation Lab is one, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk a whole lot about um, in just a minute. And then another is our Theology Together initiative. And that is a curriculum and resourcing branch of CYMT that is really seeking to introduce a new way of being in theological reflection with young people um, using a method that we call Holy Disruptions. Okay, uh, well, let's talk more about that, uh, maybe offline at, at least, right? <laughs> Keep going. I'm sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. Yeah, so the Innovation Lab uh, started back in 2017 with a grant from Lilly Endowment. Um, and the original purpose of the Innovation Lab was to say, how do we reinvent how we do youth ministry? How can we innovate and reimagine the models of the traditional kind of white suburban youth group from the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s that, right. um, frankly, is, is just not as compelling as it as it once was? Um, our executive director often refers to that model as guitars and games, uh, yeah. right? And so yep. how could we come alongside churches who also recognized the same thing and then surround them with what we call our theological innovation process and guide them through that structured process to help them reinvent how they do ministry with young people? So we ran a few different cohorts of churches um, from around the country through that program specifically focused on innovation and youth ministry. And one of our key learnings was that you really can't innovate in a youth ministry if you're not actually fostering conditions for innovation throughout the whole church. Mm. So when I came on as director in 2020, that was something that we recognized and we decided and discerned that we wanted to broaden our scope to youth ministry innovation and 
whole church innovation. So whole church, worship ministry, outreach ministry, um, wherever a church is seeking to reimagine and engage in new ways, uh, the Innovation Lab is eager to partner. Um, so since 2021, we got another grant from Lily and Dominic in 2021. And since then, we have been working with churches in lots of different areas. Um, so we run folks through our um, ministry transformation labs, which are an 18-month process that is our deep dive to really discern what's happening in the community and then develop an innovative ministry that's responsive to that and deeply theologically informed. And then we offer resources that are more like dipping your toe into the waters of theological innovation. Um, mm-hmm. And then we do consulting and coaching and surround folks uh, with the support that they need to be able to innovate. Yeah, good, good. Um, this is kind of a salesy question, I guess, in some ways. Um, but what's what's different about what the Innovation Lab does? I mean, there's, depending on the denomination or affiliation, even within kind of liberal, progressive, mainline context, there are several like innovation-y type groups. Um, so I don't know how you want to answer this question, but really what makes Innovation Lab from your context unique? Yeah. So when I was first approached back in, gosh, 2018 or so about uh, becoming director of the Innovation Lab, I was actually deep in the midst of my own journey of launching an innovative ministry. Um, Mm. I was working and walking through some of those programs that you've just mentioned, some Mm -hmm. of the programs that come alongside you and help you incubate your idea and then just get it launched. Mm -hmm. Um, and from the participant perspective, I felt frustrated often by programs that were just rooted in an idea that hmm. didn't necessarily dive deeper or move beyond just the idea. Yeah. Um, so I learned a whole lot as a participant in some of those. And a lot of that is what we bring to the innovation lab. So like you said, everyone and their brothers talking about innovation in ministry right. in the last right. decade or so. One of the things that I think is extremely unique about the Innovation Lab is that we say that innovation doesn't actually start with a really great idea. Hmm. That actually innovation, if it's theologically rooted and if it's really intentional, it has to start with listening. Yeah. So I, uh, one of my uh, pieces of my background is that I am a practitioner of asset-based community development. Mm -hmm. And this is a way of engaging with communities that I think is absolutely in line with the way that Jesus engaged with folks during his ministry. Right. Um, And it's about looking at not just what's going really poorly in a community or in somebody's life, but saying what's working really well. What are the strengths yeah. and the resources and the gifts that God has planted in this place and these people in this time? And then how can we use those things to help us innovate and address a challenge or a need that is also existing in the community? Yeah. Yeah. What I like about asset-based community development, at least from my perspective, is you know, I think you may be more familiar with its development than me. Um, but from my perspective, at least it really has a really well, it really integrates well with, I think, Christian faith. Cause we think about, you know, from a Christian faith perspective, we, we might think about like, where's God moving? Where's God working? Um, how can we go be a part of that? Um, where has, you know, where's God working in the lives of people seeking to break change? Like, how can we be a part of that? I think, which I think really melds well with the ABCD philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's such a different posture to enter into the idea of recreating a ministry or launching something new. It's completely different. 
and even the sensibility that you bring, even the humility that's brought into that mm-hmm. community and that space and that yep. conversation is completely distinct from a pastor who, you know, might be new to their church context and says, I've got this great idea and we're going to go full steam ahead and launch it. Right, right. right? And, and so, so often we have those really creative ministry leaders who come in and they've got what they think is a great idea and then it flops. Mm-hmm. You know, and there, there's a lot of different reasons for why that idea may have flopped. Um, and we we talk through a lot of that in the Innovation Lab, that sometimes it's not that the idea was bad, but maybe it's that the culture of the church wasn't actually ready for it, or the yeah, culture of the church wasn't yeah. actually ready for, for innovation. I mean, that goes back to your point about youth ministry can't innovate if, if the ethic of the church isn't about innovating or change or trying new things. Um, I, w- I want to ask you already— a, a question, a follow-up question here, if I may. You know, thinking about a new pastor coming to a church, especially in our context of, of mainline church context, often struggling with decline. Um, a young or younger-ish pastor comes in, the congregation is off, often kind of throwing all their eggs in that in that pastor's basket, whether it's their youth or age or vitality or ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like to kind of for a for a clergy or a leader to kind of shift that energy from the from the beginning and say, hey, like as much as I'm going to try to bring the gifts I have, like this is a this is a communal effort that's going to take time, so so to speak. Yeah, um, that's a great that's a great point. So we did um, the Innovation Lab did some research. We did a research study back in um, 2021, and the one of the folks that we talked to is a ministry leader in the UMC. He shared this great quote that totally typifies what you just said. And so he said, I'm kind of paraphrasing him. Yeah, yeah. He said that that people think that we're going to bring in a um, a new pastor mm-hmm. and that it's going to totally change things. And he says, he's from Alabama, and he says, people think that the same thing can happen in college football, that we bring in a new <laughs> coach and we bring it, you know, he's going to recruit a whole new team, a whole, yeah. you know, implement a complete new game plan. And all of a sudden we're going to win a national championship. And this ministry leader said, you know, that's not how it works in college football, and I'm right. sure not how it works in the church. So, which I just think is a great, that's just a great way well, of Well, can I jump that. in there? Being a resident here of Colorado and CU football right now is going <laughs> bonkers, yeah. and they may, they may be the exception to the rule, but I think that's kind of the point. Like, they're the exception to the rule, yeah. like, on a professional level, to stay with this football analogy, the Denver Broncos have a new coach. Last year, they had a new quarterback, but they're still really struggling to get mm-hmm. things going. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, with our churches, right, that's two great examples of the different kinds of churches that we work with. Right. One of our other key learnings um, after our first rounds of cohorts was that if you're not attending to the culture within that football program or mm-hmm. that church— mm-hmm. That the ability yeah. to actually effectively make change, bring in any kind of new leadership style, any kind of new ministry idea, that those things cannot possibly take root if the culture of the church is is hostile to it, right? So this has become a really key part of the Innovation Lab's work is that we, when we start the innovation process with the church, we say we are going to actually do some work on the front end Mm -hmm. to do an assessment, what we call our Innovation Culture Index, Mm -hmm. to actually do an assessment to say, what's the culture of this church right now? Mm-hmm. Where is it fostering the conditions for innovation? Where are the relationships really strong? Where is the church really convinced of its mission? Um, or where are there some areas of the church's culture that are hindering innovation? 
Mm-hmm. And back to your original question about what could a, a new pastor um, who's coming into that kind of context do? Well, I think what would be a great place to start with is A, listening, right? Mm-hmm. And then B, doing some of that cultural assessment to say, what's the culture of the church that I'm entering into? And how can we just have a really honest, vulnerable conversation about that so that we can we know some of the skeletons in the closet, uh, right. you know, to right. use that metaphor in terms of maybe 10 years ago, the church tried to launch a full brand new ministry and it completely flopped. And now mm-hmm. people have that memory stuck in their minds and right. they're really risk averse. So that this new pastor who comes in, they're trying to do something new, they're going to automatically meet some resistance from that that church's culture. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I have a friend who's a like a professional coach and learning development specialist in a in a uh, government context. And he told me a story really kind of fascinated me about how uh, I think it was like in Iowa, like pretty white Iowa, right? About someone like in a, I think it was like a police officer uh, trainer before having conversations with, with his recruits or trainees about uh, issues of race and bias first took them through a course on emotional intelligence. And I was like, how genius. Um, to your point, you've got to prepare people to have these conversations before yeah. we can have these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and just creating as much psychological safety as we can when we're having mm-hmm. a vulnerable and difficult conversation in the sense that, you know, especially for churches who might feel as though they're in decline or they're experiencing a loss of membership or whatever the challenge might be. Mm -hmm. I think those churches are often more inclined to put, to use your metaphor from earlier, more eggs in the new pastor's basket Mm -hmm. to say, this person's going to come in and completely revolutionize our ministry. And suddenly we're going to see our worship attendance increase tenfold and you know, yeah. that. And the reality is that everyone within the church's system is part of creating the culture of that church. Right. It's right. not just the senior leadership. It's not just the people who might be paid on the staff. It's it's the person who's been sitting on the front pew for the last 40 years. It's the new couple who just walked in two weeks ago. Everybody has um, has a has a perspective and has a perception of that culture, and they're contributing to to how that culture is formed. Let's stay on this, if I may. Again, I'm thinking, hopefully this is okay with you. You're in Texas, so this is, you just like eat, breathe, and sleep football to some extent, right? <laughs> like it's just part of the water. Yeah. Um. So again, I'm going to stay with the, the football metaphor. The Denver Broncos, like there's, they've started off the season as we're recording this 0-2. Um, you know, there's already talk about tanking the season, right? Uh, but broadly speaking, like they've had a, a really successful franchise, broadly speaking, won three Super Bowls rarely had a losing season have had like i think six straight losing seasons right and there's a sense of like every time this is a conversation amongst the media like every time a a game gets sideways so to speak it's like oh here we go again and i know from my own experience that that same thing can happen in churches Hmm. where it's just like it's this unwritten narrative of you know people just go to the new church down the street or young families they don't even want to be a part of an old church like ours, or we just never have enough. How do you start to kind of break those, I'll use the word narratives, of just like decline or losing or whatever word do you want to use? Yeah. So I think that, I think a great place, a really generative place to start is something from asset-based community development. Hmm. And that's the posture of 
of seeking what are the assets within the community? What mm-hmm. what assets exist within this church that may take a little bit of digging for us to mm-hmm. be able to articulate and identify? So one of the activities that we have our innovation teams do at the churches that we work with in that theological innovation process I mentioned earlier is asset mapping. Mm-hmm. So literally, we have folks do community interviews where they're having these really intentional, fun conversations with people in the church yeah. and outside the church, and they're just getting to know each other. There's not any agenda except for the mm-hmm. fact of listening really intentionally, asking some thought-provoking questions that move beyond just you know the, the usual, what's your name? Tell me mm-hmm. about yourself. Um, but really trying to get at the heart of what's going on in people's lives. And that in and of itself, the way we talk about that with our innovation teams is that that right there is a sacred act of ministry in and of itself. Hmm. Mm-hmm. My original background was in journalism, so prior to being in ministry. And I always found that when I was, I had the opportunity to sit across the table with someone and conduct an interview, it was such a holy space. Because in our society, there are not that often opportunities <laughs> no. for people to really listen, no. To, no. Ask a, to ask a really great question and then be genuinely heard. Yeah. So I think that's a great place to start. If there's a church that has this narrative of decline or, you know, we our heyday was 10 years ago or 50 mm-hmm. years ago, what would it look like to get a group of people together and say, we're going to go out and listen to our community and we're going to do so using some resources and a process that actually is going to get us to learning something new about, about what's changed in the community. Because the reality is, too, that even... Even in the last, you know, three, four years since 2020 and the start of the pandemic, so much has changed in terms of, again, people's rhythms of their daily lives, who's still present in our communities, what they're looking for in in a church, if they're even looking for a church. I mean, all Mm -hmm. of that has shifted so monumentally. Um, So I would say that that's a great place for a church that has kind of bought into that decline narrative to start is to say, no, we're going to actually go out and do some community discovery. Because God is on the move in this place, and we are going to go find out specifically where. Yeah, I think that's what I really appreciate about this perspective is it, it's it's kind of like a theological conviction to some extent, if I can use those words, that it's like, you know, God is God is active. We believe that God still has a purpose for our church and for us as a, a community or body of Christ. Um, I, I guess one thing that keeps coming in the back of my head here, keeps pinging at me, maybe just from my own experience, is the challenge of patience and the challenge of diminishing resources. Um, what what have the, how have you helped churches and, and pastors go through that when, you know, let's just say like, you know, um, there's a, there's an endowment perhaps that's running out of money, you know, the, the giving isn't keeping up. Um, and, you know, and, and, and some folks are like, we need to see results here. We don't have time just to listen. We need to see results. Yeah. Well, this is, this is a challenge, right? And I think that this is something that is another distinctive of the innovation labs approach to this kind of work. And it's, it's difficult. You know, I'm in a lot of conversations with denominational level leaders who are experiencing the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then that pressure and that stress trickles down to our local church leaders and, You know, the reality is that at the Innovation Lab, we are not measuring ministry effectiveness based on those traditional metrics. Yeah. You know, I have filled out the denominational paperwork that wants to know all the numbers and the growth and, you know, those numerical metrics. And 
those things those things do tell us something about ministry mm-hmm. effectiveness, but they can't tell us the full story. So at the Innovation Lab, we are interested in the long game. Mm-hmm. And we are interested in what can we do, be doing now? How can we really dive deeply into what's going on in the community and develop ministry that's responsive to that, that's theologically informed, that's spiritually formative for people in a way that's authentic? And how can we actually prioritize transformation in people's lives Yeah, over just the fact that now we have more people walking into our church building? Right. And I know that's a challenging narrative, and I know that, that that's really— in some ways, contradictory to some of the the system, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say something a little uh, provocative it. here. Go for right? it. Those metrics haven't haven't gotten us very far in the right. last 50 years, yeah. right? And so we've got these churches who are in states of decline numerically, but they still have life within them. And I still believe that the Holy Spirit is working. So I've been in conversations with small churches who are in that exact space that you mentioned where the endowment is drawing down and, mm-hmm. and they're they're feeling that they're running out of money and resources and maybe they haven't been able to pay um, as much staff. What would it look like to partner to create an innovative ministry with another congregation down the street? What would it look like in that asset mapping to really, you know, get a pulse on what are other churches doing in our area and how can we actually join join together to create something that is one plus one equals three, right? And that is really transformative for people in the community. But Lauren, honestly, that's that's a tough narrative. Um, yeah. But it's something that I am extremely, um, an extreme component or proponent of as we're doing this work of innovation, that just like innovation doesn't start with a great idea, it also doesn't stop just when you increase your worship numbers. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask another practical question here. Uh, again, thinking from experience, um, you, you talked about effectiveness in, in ministry, and I'm curious, like, what are some ways to measure that? Um, I remember probably a year or two ago, I wrote like a Substack based on an, an, an article or podcast I had read, just kind of about reframing what those metrics were. Um, I know I've heard some people say like, you know, their goal is to kind of have like, you know, a certain amount of cups of coffee with people, for instance, like, mm. um, I remember when I was doing a uh, new church start ministry, like one of my internal metrics was like, I want to tell, I don't remember, 10 people. Like I want to get the words out. Hey, I'm the pastor of mission, my church uh, to 10 people this week. Um, what are some, you know, cause again, those kind of like, if we're just doing like attendance and offering, that's going to be a challenging metric for a lot of innovation contexts. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll answer that by telling a little bit of a story. So I am currently attending, like I mentioned um, in my bio, I'm currently attending a merged UCC DOC congregation. Mm -hmm. And it is the healthiest church I have ever served or been a part of. And I have have served and attended um, churches across four different denominations. Mm -hmm. And we have not had a senior pastor since January. Wow. So I've been every Sunday morning, I just sit in the in the pew and I participate in worship and I just rack my brain about my my God, how is this actually happening? Because mm-hmm. it feels like a miracle is transpiring mm-hmm. every every week. And what's dawned on me recently is, and this is this is for me an incredible metric of ministry effectiveness, is the buy-in among the entire congregation. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's not just buy-in in the sense of people saying, yes, I'll help serve the coffee on Sunday mornings. It's buy-in that is really active and asking people to serve at the level of their giftedness in a mm-hmm. specific way that responds to that giftedness. Mm-hmm. So I love to preach. I'm mm-hmm. preaching next Sunday. I love to preside at the table. I presided at the table last Sunday. Mm-hmm. I'm filling in. Other people who have theological background in our congregation um, are filling in with pastoral care calls. Other people are filling in with the discipleship class. People are leading small groups. People have said yes because we are all really, I think, convinced of the sacredness of what's happening in that congregation, and we don't want it to start to tread water. We don't want it to start to decline. Mm -hmm. So I think buy-in— at the level, at the innovation level, we talk about active and passive buy-in. Right. And that you need both. You need people who are going to say, that is a great idea, Pastor. Yeah. Okay, you yeah. move forward. Or the finance committee, you need their yeah. you need their buy-in. <laughs> right. But we also need people to actively buy in and say, yep, I'm going to be there on Sunday morning at 7 a.m. to do X, Y, and Z. Or I'm going to be there to go on the mission trip with the youth group, you know, or whatever the case may be. So I think buy-in is a huge metric of of ministry effectiveness right now, as well as, for me, democratized leadership. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I've really loved about this, this time uh, in the congregation that I'm a part of is that every Sunday we have a different preacher. Every Sunday we have somebody bringing their revelations and their perspective and their theological understanding of the text for that day and of their, you know, experience um, of God to the pulpit and sharing in a way that is is just really powerful because it's such a diversity of perspectives and voices. So I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of what does it look like for, for a ministry effectiveness from a senior pastor level to be, how am I empowering other people right. to be in really active leadership roles? Not because the pastor can't or shouldn't, but because the reality is that more and more we're seeing bivocational pastors, we're yeah. seeing part-time pastors, and really, you know, ecclesia is meant mm-hmm. to be a body. Mm-hmm. It's not meant yeah. to just be senior pastor and and folks, you know, kind of passively absorbing worship or absorbing ministry programs. Uh, so a couple that I'm thinking about are buy-in and democratized leadership. Uh, and then another is coming from asset-based community development, and that's when you launch a program, when you launch a ministry, whatever the, mm-hmm. you know, the model might be, are people are people sticking around? Yeah. After it's over. Yeah. Are people um, are people longing to be part of the next time that mm-hmm. this ministry happens? Mm-hmm. Are people taking increased ownership of that ministry so yeah. that they are involving their their gifts and contributing the assets that God has given them in a in an increasing way so that more and more our ministries are starting to really look like our church and not just the church staff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I got to say offhand like maybe you should put a link to your church uh their <laughs> to their personnel committee cuz I'm sure there's a bunch of pastors who'd be like I want that job. <laughs> <laughs> Um, last, let's talk about this before we take a break. Um, I know a big part of your, your, the Innovation Lab's work has been with churches, especially in the UMC United Methodist Church context who are dealing with disaffiliation challenges. Talk more about how you support churches going through, um, that process. Cause I, I imagine, um, I actually kind of preached this in, in a sermon myself, 
recently is this is not a problem that's unique to UMC churches alone. Uh, most every mainline context, and I'm sure, frankly, some evangelical churches are dealing with this. Uh, so talk more about how you support churches there. Yeah, absolutely. So we we recognize, obviously, that this has been a tremendously difficult season for so many churches. Like you said, it's not just United Methodist churches. The the national discourse has, you know, backwashed into our churches in a way mm-hmm. that has created so much more inner conflict and so much uh, turmoil within so many congregations. Um, but to speak specifically to our UMC churches that have experienced a disaffiliation process, or they've even even maybe didn't have a disaffiliation vote, but they had a discernment process unfold, yeah, yeah. and that brought to brought to bear um, a lot of loss and grief. So two things that are really evident to us is that in a church that has experienced that kind of conflict, the culture of that church has fundamentally changed. Hmm. So this gets to something we were talking about earlier in terms of if a church is, is, so I'll speak, um, I'll speak of an example of a church that I'm working with right now. Mm -hmm. They had 50% of their worshipers disaffiliate. Wow. And leave. So wow. 50% of their volunteers, 50% of their youth and children's mm-hmm. programs, 50% of their Sunday attendance. And so they're reeling. Yeah. And fundamentally, because the people have changed, what I said earlier about the the fact that everyone who's part of a church co-creates the culture of that church together, mm-hmm. the culture has fundamentally shifted in ways that might make it to where we're able to innovate more effectively but in many cases are going to make us more risk averse. Yep. Might make us have more of a survival m- mindset. Yeah. The bonds and the relationships between people have shifted. Yeah. So I would say that one of the really fundamental places to start as a church is working through that grief process and reeling from that trauma and trying to to say, okay, God, where are we going next? Is I think to take a really deep dive into what's going on with the culture of our church now. Yeah. And what do we need to know now so that we can shift things? So we have that Innovation Culture Index is this questionnaire that can assess a church's culture according to what we call our nine indicators of innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a really helpful uh, construct for churches to work through right now so that they know, okay, this is where we are today. And if we're really going to be able to reimagine our ministry together this is what we need to shift and this is what we need to attune to. Hmm. So I think the culture of the church is is something that's really important right now. Yeah. And then the other is the fact that fundamentally the people involved in our church has completely changed. And so that means that the ministries that we were doing prior to this church conflict may not actually be the right ministries for who is still here. Yeah. Right? So lots of churches I've talked to have have had entire demographics leave. So right. maybe maybe you've lost a lot of the the older generation mm-hmm. in your church, or perhaps you've lost a lot of young families. Yeah. So now the the people within the body of Christ that's there gathered on Sunday mornings is completely different, and so the needs have changed, the assets have changed. Mm-hmm. So this is where I think listening and having some of those intentional conversations to say who is still here. And what's going on in their lives, and how do we develop ministries moving forward that actually respond to that, not to who was here two years ago yeah. or six months ago? Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a space that's framed through scarcity, mm-hmm. but really being able to say, how are we leaning into where the Holy Spirit is at work today 
not where we thought the Holy Spirit was at work, you know, five years ago or where we wish the Holy Spirit right. was at work, but what's right. going on right now right. here in the lives of people who are still gathered? I have to ask one more question here. I, I said we take a break, but let me ask this. That scarcity versus abundance mindset, I can be a little um, skeptical of that because I think it the, the kind of abundance mindset can be a little bit rose-colored glasses type thing. So do you think like do you think asset-based community development is kind of real helps give some 2020 to to say with that vision seeing does it help kind of bring some clarity and re- reality to like hey we do have these limitations but these are assets kind of reframes that does that make sense Yeah so at the animation lab we talk about innovation happening at the intersection of three things mm. the church's mission so mm-hmm. the distinct mission and call that a church believes God has given them in this time in this place a community's needs, so the stresses or the challenges or the issues that are happening in a community, and then a community's assets. So if you can visualize, you know, those three concentric circles where those three things overlap is where we think there's opportunity for developing an innovative kind of ministry. So you can see that those things, we're not ignoring that there are challenges or issues or stresses within a community or within every person's life. But we're saying what assets also exist in the community, in the church itself, that might make a positive difference and might actually be the very thing that God needs to actually transform somebody's life so that that challenge doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. This is great. Thanks for it. I'm glad I asked that question as I got that great response. Um, We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Megan Hatcher and uh, Megan. Great conversation. Really appreciate your insights here. Um, some closing questions. You can take these. I always tell people as uh, seriously or or not as you'd like to. Uh, but if you're Pope for a day, what might that day look like for you? What would you want to accomplish? Oh gosh, that is that's a difficult question. There's a lot of things I would shift theologically. I think in terms of <laughs> doctrinal standards, um, the very first thing I would do is open the table to all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would probably make, make some shifts, uh, in, in doctrine and stances on, on different social topics. Lauren, that's kind of a tricky question. To answer. <laughs> fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Mm. Whenever this question is asked, I think this is so challenging because there's so many. Yeah. Um, when I was in seminary, I, for the first time, was introduced to liberation theology. Mm-hmm. And Father Gustavo Gutierrez mm-hmm. is someone that I mm-hmm. I admire his works and his perspective on, on liberation theology so much, um, especially his idea around the way that God accompanies us, yeah. God accompanies the poor. So yeah. from Gutierrez, we get the concept of God's preferential option for the poor mm-hmm. and and, you know, the idea that to be a faithful Christian is to advocate and to serve the poor and the oppressed. Um, and that resonates really deeply with me and, and my own sense of call and my own sense of understanding of Jesus and, and uh, the Trinity. And then the idea of God's accompaniment is something that I have personally found a lot of solace in, mm-hmm. that um, God doesn't abandon us in the bad stuff. Um, I yeah. think, you know, maybe that's a word for, for some of these churches that are in this space right. of scarcity is right. that, that God's accompanying us even in the midst of that as well, that uh, we are not in the wilderness alone, that we do in fact actually have a guide and we are actually going somewhere. 
Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I'm writing that down here. God hasn't abandoned abandoned us, trying to spelling there. Because um, that really is like a theological belief, right? It really has to be kind of a, a theological belief or conviction or something you hold in your heart that, because we're else, right? Really, or else it's this kind of prosperity gospel of like, hey, God's only with us through the good times or the only evidence of God's presence is blessing, right? Right, right. Or or you've done you've done something to deserve right, suffering. Right. You, right. You've done something that uh in some way warrants whatever's going on. And I yeah. think that can be I mean, if you ever talk to someone who's actually suffered, mm-hmm. that can be a really empty theology. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, and it, it doesn't it certainly doesn't offer love or or grace or, you know, the mercy that I think is the character of God. Yeah. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time or place? Mm. So I think that the church is really at a liminal moment. And I yeah. think that was, as so many of us have talked about, that was really um, catalyzed by the pandemic and exacerbated by the pandemic. I think that we, in many cases, I'm using the royal we, um, the big big C, capital, capital C church, is in many cases asking the wrong questions right mm, now. Mm-hmm. Um, our questions of why are people not coming back to church or why will people not come to my church? I think that's asking the wrong question. I think that actually the more compelling question is, you know, for instance, one of the things that I hear often from ministry leaders is Sunday sports. All the kids and families are now at Sunday sports and they're not coming to youth group and they're not coming to worship. And I wonder what if it was reframed? What if the question actually was, what are parents or young people finding that's so compelling? What sense of community and belonging are they experiencing on the soccer sideline? Yeah. That they're not maybe experiencing in the church. Yeah. And how can we ask people to articulate that and to share that with us? You know, or when I lived in DC, so many of the young people were at brunch with their friends mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings. Well, what's going on at brunch that is so wonderful and compelling? What do you love about going to brunch on Sunday mornings with your friends, right? And so I think the church needs to to reframe. And I think what will be remembered is whether or not we can do that faithfully yeah, and whether or not we choose to do that faithfully. So I think the pandemic really, you know, I was serving um, for the first few months of the pandemic in 2020, I was still serving as a pastor of community engagement. And the question became, right, how do you engage your community when there's a global pandemic happening? Mm-hmm. And I had this realization at one point when I was really starting to feel discouraged and like I wasn't doing my job and I had a realization that, you know what, people are encountering Jesus Christ in their daily lives, and it has nothing to do with our church building. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with them participating in our church programs. So I think the question for the church moving forward is, will we allow what we have learned from the pandemic and from these last 50 years, will we actually allow that to stretch our imagination of what the ecclesia can be? Yeah. So I think that's what will be remembered is is what we do moving forward and yeah. whether or not we can allow ourselves to liberate the church, liberate the Holy Spirit in some cases to to catch up to where the Holy Spirit's actually at work. Yeah. Um what are your hopes for the future of Christianity? I hope that you know one of my biggest hopes is that Dr. King's words about 11 a.m. on a Sunday being the most segregated hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that that will not be the case. I hope that we can figure out with cultural humility how to be beloved community together, even when we have differences of theological thought and opinion. Yeah. 
I think the kind of obsession with orthodoxy versus orthopraxy and this kind of false dichotomy around right belief and right conduct. Yeah. I hope that we can move beyond that and realize that being a Christian is not about assimilation. It's not about coming into an institution and being a member, you know, into perpetuity Mm -hmm. just for the sake of being a member, but it's actually about the grace of Christ and the gospel changing people's lives Mm -hmm. and transforming people's lives. Um, You know, I think one of the things that I found so compelling about the church that I'm part of now is that the dominant message on a Sunday morning is completely countercultural to what we hear in the world, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's love hmm. and it's grace and mm-hmm. it's the fact that you are enough and that God loves you and that you are forgiven. And, and that, I think, is my hope for Christianity is that that becomes the dominant voice hmm. and the loudest voice. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. Uh, share with our listeners how they can connect with you and find out more, more about the Innovation Lab and uh, Center for Youth Ministry Training. Yeah. Well, the first place I would send listeners is to cymt.org slash innovate. And uh, if you go to that webpage, you can read all about our approach to innovation and the various programs and resources and tools that we offer. Uh, and then you can find us on Instagram. Our handle is Hope of Innovation. And you can catch up uh, that way. We also have a a monthly newsletter that comes out. So I would definitely um, send folks who are interested in learning more about us uh, to that. And they can do that on that webpage, cymt.org. Yeah. So I think that's how I found you, Hope of Innovation on Insta. So are you all on threads yet? I guess is the big question, right? We're not on threads. I, I'm I'm a I'm a millennial, so it feels like I should know more about threads, but no. I'm I exhausted, kind of exhausted right now of social media. Um because yeah. I just got the blue sky invitation. Like, do I take this or not? I don't know. Lauren, I've got to be honest, I'm not even sure what that is. Just just another <laughs> another thing. I'm actually not I'm actually not on any personal social media. Oh, you're probably much healthier uh, mentally for that. It's a choice I made. Yeah, it's a choice I made during the pandemic to just like delete all of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, always, Always leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. And you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future Christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.